Bibles to Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5, as well as Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 5 and Romans 7. That's in the New Testament. Shortly after the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Naps. But Matthew chapter, I mean, not Matthew, Romans, Romans chapter 7. Be going to um, verse 18. Well, you, know, you never know how long the preacher's going to preach. You know, it sometimes could be a shorter message, sometimes it could be a longer. Um, Quinn thinks it's just longer or even longer. <laughs> but um, a pastor um, once went to the dentist for a set of false te- teeth. It was an older preacher. And the first Sunday after he got his new teeth, he talks for only eight minutes. The second Sunday, he talked for only ten minutes. But then the following Sunday, he spoke for two hours and 48 minutes. And the congregation had to mob him to get him down from the pulpit. And they asked him, what happened? The pastor explained the first Sunday, his gums hurt so bad he couldn't talk for more than eight minutes. He said it felt a little better the next week, but he couldn't talk for more than ten minutes. But the third Sunday, he accidentally put his wife's teeth in by mistake and couldn't stop. <laughs> That's why a ladies' retreat three days where the men's barbecues just a couple of hours. You know what? We get done and you get to go home. Um, Romans chapter 7 in verse 18. It says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwell of no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find in the law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Here we see the Apostle Paul, who we look at as, well, what a great Christian 
teacher. But he looked at himself as the chief of sinners. And here he acknowledges that I know in me draw of no good thing. That of and of himself there's that flesh, there's that sin. But then as a born-again Christian, he says the inward man, the spiritual man, wants to do that which is right. But he ends up having sin in him. How do you spell sin? Any kids know? How do you spell sin? Oh, go slow, okay? I can't write that fast. M for monkey? Oh, okay. N for nice. Is that right? All right. Thank you. That'd be embarrassing if I spilt it wrong in front of a whole congregation. Okay? Well, look at this board right here as our heart. And that while there are times when we're walking with the Lord... Okay, you know, we're in our Bible, we're praying, we're in church. You know, there's that desire to do that which is right. But then, there's sin that gets in our heart, and that we end up having like two desires. You know, we want to do that which is right, but sometimes we don't do what is right, we do that which is sin. And it's not like sin is just something where it's always just easy just to stop doing. It's one of those things that sometimes you entertain the sin, and then the sin entices for more and more sin. And the Bible talks about how um, sin bringeth forth lust, and how um, lust um, of sin bringeth forth death. And it's not like sin is just very easily erasable. Sometimes like we have the spiritual, the inward man, but there's the battle. That Paul in here is talking about. We have this battle with sin. And it, st it stays in the flesh. That it's not easy to just get rid of. That it's a struggle. That it is a battle. That, that yes, thank God that you know when we're saved about how God forgives us of our sin. But there's times where we still battle. We wrestle with it. And sometimes the good things that we want to do, um, we don't do. You know, how, how, you know, just think from a physical perspective. How many times people go to the gym, or I'm going to go for walks, and, oh, the flesh doesn't want to get up, does it? Not how you've started disciplining yourself, how you started to master the discipline. But it ends up being a struggle. It ends up being hard. One thing that helps could help is get a dog. You know what? That you need to go take it for a walk. But you know what? After a couple of weeks, it's not as easy anymore. It's like, oh, one of the kids, you go take the dog for a walk. Okay? But it ends up being this battle in the flesh with sin. Go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 5. In verse 19. 
says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That is, sin have reigned in your death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, so we see by one man's disobedience, we see the sinful nature passes from Adam and we continue in that sin. But here we see that grace is greater than our sin. That even where there was sin, that grace much more abounded. Now Paul understood that people would and did twist what Paul wrote. And you'll even have some today that twist it today. And so we see he clarifies um, you know, about what Paul said about in verse, in, in verse 20, about how where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Some people started to come to the wrong conclusion to think that with God's promise to meet sin with grace means that sin does not matter. That we could enjoy the pleasures of sin and God will forgive us with his grace anyhow. People will often say, you know what, don't judge me for my sin. We know you're a sinner too. And only God could judge. Yeah, you know what, God's judgment is greater than our own judgment. But thankfully God's mercy is also greater than our own mercy. But we see Paul was not writing to tell believers that, hey, if you sin, it's okay. Go ahead and sin more because God's grace is going to cover it. That's not what Paul was writing. He was not saying just enjoy the pleasures of sin. You know, Martin Luther, um, he, said, he said this of the Protestant Reformation. He goes, it was good for great Christians to have some sin in their lives so they could experience God's grace. And he also said, be a sinner and sin boldly, but believe and rejoice in Christ even more boldly. Hey, that's not sound theology. Paul was not writing, go sin, come on, God's grace is great, just go and enjoy your sin. He was not given a license, so to speak, to sin. We read on in chapter 6 of Romans. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So Paul was not writing again to go on in sin because God's grace is greater. What he was letting the people know though is that there is no sin that is too great that God cannot forgive. That there is no need to allow the sins of our past to continue to haunt us. That God can wipe that away. He can wash that clean. But when He washes it clean, God does not give you a desire to go ahead and continue in that sin. If we're, we did a sin. You know what? Christ died on our behalf. He became sin for us. But that does not compel us to ungodliness. But more in appreciation compels us 
to live for Christ and tells us not to sin for our own benefit and the benefit of others. In verse 3, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him in baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. And so, in verse 6, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. That our old man, the flesh, is to be crucified with Christ. The affections, the lust, the enticement to sin is to be crucified with Christ. That's what he died for. He died for our sins. And he uses the picture of a spiritual baptism. He's not talking about how water baptism saves, but how the water baptism pictures what happens spiritually, that when we're saved, we're immersed in Jesus Christ. That when we trust in Him, that we're in Christ, that we're buried with Him, and that we're raised again with Him, that we're to walk in newness of life no longer in that bondage to our sin. And water baptism symbolizes that spiritual. Now as we see, this is with a permanent marker, and it does not just come off. But you know what? It's dark, it's permanent of a stain that sin may try to, uh, to bring on us. The Bible speaks about the blood of Christ. In, in, in Colossians 1.14, it says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. And so when Jesus died, he covered us with his blood, with the blood of Christ. So another pass, um, passage. Um, Quinn, could you go to 1 John? 1 John 1, 9. Send it back to the Bible. Yeah, okay. Okay, so if we confess our sins, He's faithful, He's just, to cleanse us from all of our sins. And so, when we're saved, when we're in Christ, so I preach about in the past, or just a couple of weeks ago, that with our sin, we do not need to be held in bondage to the past. Again, Paul wasn't saying, because God could wash away your sin, keep sinning. But he says, you know, we do not need to be held guilty this entire time. That we are able to move on. That we're able to have victory. 
another passage of Scripture um, in Revelation 1.5 says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that love us and wash us from our sins in his own blood. And so God does not see the sin in believers that as we confess our sins to him, that Jesus saves us and washes us from our sin. Washes it in the blood of Jesus Christ. So that we're without stain, we're without mark, that we're able to be made clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. That even though sin appears to make a permanent stain on our life, it's the lie of the devil to keep you living a defeated life. Because the blood of Christ washes away our sin. It absolves it. You don't need to go to a preacher to confess your sin. Now, I understand, you know what, sometimes people go to the preacher to, kind of, to maybe get counseling, to get help, to try to get accountability. Those are all good things. But you do not need to confess your sins to a priest. A priest has no power to forgive you of sin. Only God can forgive sin. Even the Pharisees recognized that. When they accused Jesus of blasphemy, when He said, Thy sins be forgiven of thee. And they're like, who can forgive sins but God only? That was the point. Jesus was God. He was God manifest in the flesh. And so as believers, though, while we still have this battle, as I mentioned in, in chapter 7, in chapter 7, again, just to reread it again. For I know that in me that is in my flesh draw of no good thing, for the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that draweth in me. I find in the law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me in new captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Oh wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? That battle that we have with sin, we wrestle, it's a war. But here Paul is saying that also that if we hold on to the bondage, that, that, that it, it, it wars with us, it puts us in captivity. And that's why we need to recognize the sins of our past as washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Because I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what delivers us from the bondage of sin. In verse 7 of chapter 6, it says, For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. 
Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so that's what we need to recognize as believers, that we're dead to sin, that sin is to be dead to us, that we walk in the Spirit, the Bible says, then we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's when we try to live in both. That we want, li- want our sin, and then we want Jesus. And thankful, God's grace does abound. He knows we struggle with this in our flesh. And that's the great thing, that when we go and be with the Lord, all tears will be wiped away. All pain, all suffering, all sin will be gone. Thanks to Jesus Christ. But we're to reckon ourselves dead unto sin. The Bible says, Let everyone that name of the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Now, if you've been freed from the power of sin, don't keep putting sin as your master. Don't be the servants of unrighteousness. That death has no more dominion over Christ. He died on your sin once, and He conquered it by His resurrection. And that likewise, we're directing ourselves alive unto God through Jesus Christ. Typically, that which is alive is growing. It's not stagnant. You know, sometimes, you, you know what, people can visit church and not come back because all they see is Christians that might look dead. You know, we're not to be just dead Christians, okay? We're to be alive. We're supposed to be letting that joy shine forth and, and make it be where people visit. are like, wow, I want that joy. I want to be a part of that. To be alive, a new God. To grow in our faith. Let the joy of Christ shine through you and allow people to see excitement about the things of God. Now again, being dead to sin does not mean we no longer struggle with sin. 1 John 1.10 says, If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. You know, there's some religious groups that could teach that you could come to a place where you no longer sin in this life. That's not biblical. We make God a liar when we say that's going to happen. But yet the seed in us, the inward man, does not sin. When we're born again, we're saved. The Spirit of God within us does not sin. But while we're still in our flesh, we do have that struggle. And so that's why we're to yield not to the lust of the flesh. Not to entertain it. Not to think I could just dab in this a little bit. In verse 12 it says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. So because we're dead to sin, we're to not let sin reign in our body. 
Obey not the lust of the flesh. Yield not to the temptation. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness and new sin. We must make sure that our thoughts, our speech, our actions are not used for unrighteous purposes. Sin will entice us. It will show us the pleasure, the delight, the fun. Just look at any commercials that promote sinful behaviors. They show you the good things. They show you the fun. They don't show you the devastation, the pain that it brings to families. I've used this illustration in another message before of blackberry vines. And just as a visual, visualize blackberry vines as sin. The berries on the blackberries are sweet. They're pleasant. There's pleasure to the mouth. And the leaves kind of bring the vine a little bit of balance. And sometimes the lie the devil tells us is, just sin in moderation. Just sin in moderation. Just don't let it consume you. Just sin in moderation. But it's the lie of the devil. It's the berries grow, the, or the vines grow. They choke. They destroy things. They overtake the rest of the vegetation. As you're in the middle of blackberry vines and you get those berries and you try to climb out, that the thorns scratch, they tear, they cause pain. Well, one time when I used that as an illustration, I actually had a blackberry vine up here. And he goes, Dad, please don't use, that as a, don't use that for an illustration with me. And I was like, why not? And he goes, because I don't want to have all those thorns wrapped around me. He goes, wrap them around him instead. <laughs> yeah, and you know, blackberries are pleasant to the taste, and there's nothing sinful of blackberries, so don't take my illustration wrong, okay? Yeah, blackberries are good, amen? But... You know, I remember one time try, doing some landscaping at the church, at another church, try, trying to make improvements, and there was this whole ditch full of blackberry vines coming over onto the parking lot. And we tried several things to get rid of them. We tried trimming them down, just kind of cutting them down to manage it. But you know what? Later, the same season and the next season... They just grew more abundant. Trying to just trim our sin down to moderation is not going to help. It's going to come back to choke us. And so that's where we want to really work on in the Spirit of God, asking God to give us victory to overcome this sin and not to tease it, not to entertain the flesh. So we were trying to cut it back, we thought of other methods. You know, on hot sunny days, sometimes they would burn and wither after shortly cutting them. But after full cool days and nights, they would revive. You know, we've seen widespread burns before, but the bushes would also rejuvenate over time. We tried using um, poison, but after a rainy evening, it could deem ineffective. 
Often we try to trim or cut back into moderation. We think we can handle it. We think we, we, it won't have dominion over us, but we're feeding the old man. And sometimes we'll gain a fire, a zeal for the Lord, but only when the wind blows our way. That we're happy to serve God when things all seem to be going pleasant. But when the trials come, the hardships come, we're like, man, God wasn't there to prevent this from happening. And then we lose our fire. We cool down. Sometimes we'll draw nigh unto the sun of righteousness, but we soon slip back into darkness when this come. The Spirit will fill our life with joy, albeit when we get self-centered, we choose to follow the lusts of the flesh. And the only sure way to get rid of the blackberry bushes was to dig out the roots. To dig out the roots and remove it from the location. And if we're going to conquer sin in our life, we must go beyond the surface. We must dig out the root. You know, sometimes we struggle with bitterness. Sometimes there's something that hurt us and we're bitter about it. Well, the bitterness is the surface. But what is the bitterness there for? It could be because of unforgiveness. It could be because of a spirit of revenge. And so we must confess our sin. Lord, help me to forgive. That we don't necessarily condone maybe something that happened, but we forgive. And we allow God to move things on. That we forgive one another. That you know what? If you had a child that went and rebelled and maybe left home and they're coming back, forgive. Let them see forgiveness. Let them not see the shame on your face, your disappointment, but forgiveness. Now, while they're active in their sin, may they see that disappointment. May they see that you're brokenhearted over it. But when they're ready to come back home, we need to forgive one another. Sometimes in the church, we need to forgive one another when Maybe we say something and it offends somebody. Um, and sometimes that could be either through perception, that we thought something was said with an intended effect, when maybe that wasn't the intent. But then there's other times where maybe we've actually said something that was offensive, that we said something that was not kind. And instead of th thinking in our mind, they just need to not be so sensitive. We need to be like, Lord, forgive me for how I use my tongue. Forgive me that I use my words to destroy, to pluck down, then to build up, then to edify. And may we be willing to forgive those that did offend us. Resist the temptation of sin when it comes your way. And when possible, avoid the very presence of temptation. Okay, we've heard it said before, I've said it. Temptation is not sin. It's falling for the temptation that is sin. But, why not try to avoid the temptation altogether? 
Don't even entertain it. Yes, sometimes that may not be a possibility. Sometimes, you know, avoid it. Pass not by it. Turn from it and pass away. So while the temptation's not to sin, try to avoid it. You know, if you avoid the temptation, you are most likely going to sin less. You won't be sinless, but you could sin less. And we can only have victory over sin when the Spirit-filled life roots the sin out of our life. Yield unto God. Walk in the Spirit. Yield your life to Christ. God's grace is not a license to sin, but liberty from the bondage of it. In verse 15 of Romans 6. It says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. Colossians 1.13 says, Who have delivered us from the power of darkness and have translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. And so God has given us freedom from the power, from the dominion of sin, that before we were saved, we were held in bondage to it. But when we're saved, we have the Spirit of God living within us that helps us to overcome that sin. You know, sometimes we may look at another Christian. Oh, hold on. You know, before I get there, you know, we'll read in verse 19. It says, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members, servants to uncleanness, and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members, servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from, righteous, from righteousness. So here he's saying, okay, before you had iniquity unto iniquity. You added sin to your life. You just continued to add sin to your life. It, it, it built it upon. It was added to you. It, the sin continued to grow. But he says to redirect that. To redirect that passion. Now that you're saved. You know, before, sin was the thing. But we need to redirect that passion. You know, say we had an appetite for very worldly, ungodly music. Replacing it with some good, wholesome Christian music. You know, it's good to, to, to have a replacement. You know, when someone's on the diet, maybe you're trying to cut things out of their diet, and you want to replace it with something else that's going to be good and healthy. You need to redirect your passion. 
Sometimes we may look at another Christian and be amazed and be like, wow, they have such a walk with the Lord. They don't seem to have any struggles. They always seem victorious. Their children are so obedient, I wish I could have that. But I could never do it. Well, you know, we must nurture our relationship with Christ. If you don't eat, you die. Just ask any kid. I'm starving to death! You don't eat, you die. <laughs> we must feast upon the Word of God and prayer or you will feel defeated spiritually. Don't replace the old life and feed it on the Word of God and prayer and trust in God. You will feel defeated. You'll feel dead. Sometimes you may think the grass is greener on the other side. But if you take the time to water your own grass, it could be just as green. Sometimes that family you look up to, you know, it's, they've had years of nurturing, training their children to nurture the admonition of the Lord. They've been faithful, they've been diligent, and they have their struggles. But maybe they're good at not just broadcasting it to everybody I see. Water your own grass, and it will be just as green. Nurture your children in the Lord. Nurture your marriage. If you're not nurturing your marriage, it's not going to be as nice as that couple that you admire. You must nurture it. You must water it. You must feed it. And be humble about it. God says, well, you give him more grace. Wherever he says, God resists of the proud, but give of grace to the humble. In the 4th century, a young man asked the preacher, what is the meaning of being dead and buried with Christ? And so the preacher told him, go unto this man's grave and say many unkind things to it. Tell him that you're glad that that man is dead. The young man came back. The preacher asked him, what, did, what happened? Said he said nothing. He's dead. The preacher told him, go back and repeat every kind and flattering thing you have ever heard of him. Tell him how much you miss him, how a great saint he was, what noble work he did, how the whole church depended upon him, and come again and tell me what he says. The young man went and did so, and he said, he still answers nothing. You know now what it is to be dead with Christ. Praise and blame equally are nothing to him who is really dead and buried with Christ. Now, you know, you're, no, while it's nice to be appreciated, I'm sure wives enjoy being appreciated by their husbands. Husbands aren't always good at expressing it. But you know, if you're dead to Christ, if there's not that praise, you know what? You're serving as unto the Lord. 
You're walking with God. You're walking with the Lord. And you're not feeding off that praise. You're dead to it. No, it doesn't mean you don't appreciate it when it comes. If you may want your wife to take better care of you, show her that appreciation and you'll see that return. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians, a man loves himself when he loves his wife greater. The investment, the return on investment is greater than if you just belittle or complain to your wife about why certain things aren't done. You show appreciation. But then you know what? Sometimes some men feel like they're not appreciated by their wife. Go to work all day, work hard, come home, provide, have the wife go get the groceries, spend the money, and maybe sometimes have little or nothing for himself. And men could start to feel like, man, I'm just not appreciated. Well, if you're dead in Christ, you won't be living where you need that to do what you need to do as a husband. That you're, you're dead to the unkind things, that when things are said unkind to you, but you're dead with Christ, it's not going to affect you as much. You're dead to it. You get praise. Appreciate it, but get dead to it. You know, it's a preacher of the Word of God. You know what? There's times where I get criticism. There's times where I get praise. You know, with praise and criticism, you know, as one preacher I heard say, treat it like chewing gum. Chew on it for a little while. If you've been criticized, you know what? Was I maybe wrong? Or, you know what? Did I articulate that not the best way? But don't live in your office defeated and be like, man, what am I doing? I just keep offending people. I, um, this person doesn't like me. You know what? You chew on it. Consider it. Is there anything genuine about the criticism? Sometimes some people, that's their calling in life. They just feel they're meant to criticize everything. If that's the person, psh, you spit that gum out right away. If there's something you need to make a judgment, so you make that. You get praise. Okay, you know what? Thank you. Appreciate it. Okay, but don't feed off of it. You know, if I was to feed my preaching off of just the praise I receive, I would only preach all the good things the Bible says. Your best life now. I would preach everything positive. But you know what? Sometimes we need to preach on sin. Sometimes we need to preach how we don't need to be held in dominion to the guilt of our sin. That Christ has washed it away. That we don't need to live in this bondage. To throw that away. Jesus, the Bible says, Jesus said, God forgives our sin. It's from the east. It's from the west. As if it's cast into the deepest parts of the ocean. Never to be found again. And we need to likewise let it go. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Sin will suck the life out of you. The fruit of sin is brokenness, shame, 
guilt, despair, bondage, hopelessness. The end thereof bringing death. But fruit had ye in those things whereof ye are now ashamed, for the end of those things is death. But again, confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us of all sin. And we need to let that stay clean. You see, clean it, not to keep living in bondage to it. Because we're dead to sin. We're free from the dominion of it. Now we get to be servants of God who redeem us from the curse of sin. That now, though we battle with sin in our heart, the Bible talks about how God gives us a new heart. Um, in Ezekiel 36 and verse 26, it says, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statues, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. God gives us a new heart. Life does not live in bondage to the old heart. The Bible says we're made free from sin. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What freedom we have in Christ. Don't entertain the sin. It doesn't need to master us. It does not need to have dominion over us. But don't let the sin again of your past. Or of your present. Okay, you get it right with the Lord? Don't let that hinder your walk with the Lord in the future. God is wash it clean if you're in Christ. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We're grateful for the righteousness that you've given us, that you've given Christ perfect righteousness unto us. That we are made righteous in Jesus. That you've said we are accepted in the Beloved. That even if someone on earth does not accept us for how we are, you've accepted us with our sin and all to make us clean. Clean. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray, Lord, if there's anyone in here that's having any particular battle with any particular sin, that you help them overcome it in the Spirit of Christ. To give them victory. For, them, for that sin to be dead to them. Because they're dead in Christ. And raised again a new creature in Christ. And that there is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Help us Lord to live in victory. In Jesus name. Amen. Wednesday night.